Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris DeMuth. It is Monday, July 25th. And Chris, today, I think we're going to test the limit of for entertainment purposes only because we're going to be talking all about Corporate governance and CEO pay, which I know are two thrilling subjects. For I'm everyone. entertained. I, I am too. I think it's great. Uh, but to start, we're going to talk about the common sense, the common sense corporate governance principles that Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett are spearheading, and then we're going to talk about some new research that suggests the best paid CEOs are uh, tend to run the worst performing companies, and vice versa. Uh, so let's start with the common sense corporate governance principles. Last summer, a group of the most powerful finance leaders in America had secret meetings at J.P. Morgan's New York headquarters. Uh, the leaders included Warren Buffett, who's obviously Berkshire's CEO and chairman, Jamie Dimon, who runs J.P. Morgan, Lawrence Fink, who runs BlackRock, the heads of GE, GM, Verizon, Vanguard, and T. Rowe Price. And it's kind of the stuff conspiracy dreams are made of to have all these guys in one room. But it turns out they weren't plotting world domination they were having a discussion on the sorry state of publicly traded companies. I believe the quotes were, too little trust between shareholders and management, too many rules and idiosyncratic accounting experts, and not enough kind of common sense corporate governance. Uh, so Chris, I'll let you jump in there and we'll talk all about why corporate governance matters, what they're trying to get at, what they're trying to improve, and maybe even a little bit of hypocrisy on their part. So why don't you start? Um, I'm a big fan of kind of old-fashioned ethics rules. Mm -hmm. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And I think the kind of thing that hopefully everybody's grandmothers taught them gets you a really long way in the modern world. And kind of then next up, don't even get anywhere close and don't look like you're doing those things. But the modern idea of compliance has really kind of taken the word ethics and become something completely different that basically uh, bifurcates your incentives. That says you don't have a conflict. And it's really done a lot of uh, perverse things to boards. And I think that it's great that these guys have come together. Yeah, if I was an angry conspiracy theorist, boy, this would be just what I was protesting. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think that it's a, it's a legitimate and important issue. Yeah, so one of the things, I, I think this is one of your better quotes, one of your best quotes, and you've had many, is uh, you know when you have rules, you should be worried that what people are going to do is follow the rules and incentives they've put in place. And in this case, over you know, 20, 30 years, there had been so many abuses that there are all these rules put in place that are now almost preventing people from running businesses as they're meant to be run uh and what they said was you know all this distrust and all these rules has led to smart money and the most interesting companies in the world they don't want to be public anymore they're all private uber is probably the best example it's valued at way over 50 billion dollars and they're staying private they have no desire to go public uh there are plenty of others dell went private and michael dell when he took it to private he said we've got a turnaround to do and the public markets encourage too much short-term thinking we can't do it as a public company uh, the number of public companies over the past 20 years has been cut in half. So the trend is clearly more towards private, not public companies. And this is trying to buck this trend. So why don't you talk about some of the issues? Go ahead. Yeah, I have mixed feelings. I should say that on one hand, I have never really liked the IPO as a cultural rite of passage. That The bankers say that you know this is kind of something that you get corralled into doing. Uh, they clearly have a huge incentive on you going public. But as sort of a life accomplishment, as as opposed to a source of capital, mm -hmm. it should just be a source of capital. On the other hand, uh, it is much better uh, as a society uh, if we have the transparency and also the democratization of publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the problem we've had is the kind of quarterly focus, much, much, much too short. 
uh, and uh, and then and then you have the agents kind of preying on the companies uh, as something that they can exploit with the counterparty being the company itself, not yep. their competitors uh, that they're trying to defeat or their customers they're trying to serve. Yeah, so all these rules were put in place for one reason. And the reason is management interests do not naturally align with shareholder right. interests. And the board is there to make sure that management is doing things that shareholders would want, right? Uh, and you've given the example before, mutual banks. If you ever see a mutual bank where there's no kind of uh, shareholder focus there, Management teams don't care about the expenses because it's not their money. It's kind of someone someone else's money. So they'll fly first class everywhere. They're always staying in the best accommodations. And it's kind of a board's job, especially at a public company, to make sure the management is not doing that stuff so that shareholders are receiving the most benefit. And, you know, when you have poor corporate oversight, we talked about the Hershey's Trust a few uh, weeks ago. Even the board can become the kind of controlling interest against even shareholders' interests, where they can just spend money like crazy and have the best art in all of their uh, have the best art at their headquarters because they don't care about spending shareholder money. They they have all the control and it's not their money, so who cares? Uh, let's see. So, I, do you want to talk about some of the recommendations that they were ma- making? Well, I, I was just going to say before that, I yeah. think in terms of how you treat these people on boards and management. I think that the key is minimizing distraction. That I would just say that on one hand, scarcity can be a problem. You can, it's very easy. You could, you could uh, underpay somebody mm-hmm. so that they're, you know, a high quality person shouldn't be sitting there waiting for the bus. But at the same <laughs> no, In our second segment, we'll talk about maybe they should, who knows? <laughs> but, but the second thing I'd say is that they shouldn't be there bulldozing a mansion to design a new mansion mm-hmm. in the Hamptons. You know, the, if, if, if they're not focused on the substance, there is a problem. Yep. And that's a problem that we're seeing a lot of places. Yeah, so do you want to take some of the, You want me to take them? All right. So some of the recommendations are kind of common sense things. So, you know, they say, hey, if you've got board members, you should pay them more in stock than sure. cash. So that kind of... If you're getting cash, you don't really care what's happening to the company. If you're getting stock, you care if the company's share price is rising or falling. Uh, board should be majority independent and able to stand up to the CEO. I think that makes all the sense of the world. And companies, they should overall be encouraged to focus long-term, not short-term. But it's proved pretty controversial. Um, a lot of the letter has read, do as I say, not as I do. And actually, a lot of uh, a lot of people who were originally in the group kind of jumped out of the group. Fidelity and a couple of other really big asset managers ended up jumping out of the group for one reason or another. So it's controversial in that aspect. Uh, I'll let you talk, start yeah, a little bit I, with the guy. I, I have to say, and I need to say this carefully, I think hypocrisy is one of the most um, kind of overrated of vices and consistency is one of the most overrated of virtues. If there's some mm-hmm. important idea, trying to do it mostly instead of always, I think is great. And even if you're one of the exceptions. And also I think that there's a certain kind of uh, reality that might be snobby for some of these guys to say, but there's some very good reasons why some of the people involved are the exceptions. And there, there are things that you could say as a rule that's okay to uh, to uh, exempt yourself from. And in this case, some of the people involved happen to be in the 1% of 1% of people who I think don't need to have a very independent board at Berkshire or you know, yeah. Jamie Dimon and, and, uh, and Buffett and some of the people involved are unusual people. And I think that that reality shouldn't undermine what they're doing. Well, so the, as I said, a lot of the letter says, do as I say, not as I yeah. do. So for example, the letter suggests you should split the CEO and the chairman mm-hmm. roles. Uh, but almost everyone who signed this letter is the CEO chairman. As you yeah. said, Warren Buffett, he's probably the most uh, the most talented person uh, who's ever existed in finance, so maybe it's okay for him. 
But uh, again, it's a little hip, uh, hypocrisy there. The letter suggests diverse independent boards with a mix of new and fresh directors. And Berkshire's board is basically Buffett's friends at this point. The mm-hmm. majority have served for 20 years. Uh, Berkshire has grown substantially over 20 years. The people who were, managing, who were the best directors for Berkshire 20 years ago, it's tough to manage. They're the best directors today. It's nine white guys and three white women, so you can't really argue it's super diverse. And Buffett's son will inherit the chairman role, so it's almost like there's a little nepotism on that yeah. board. It's tough to argue it stood up to him and got the best chairman for when he passes away. Go ahead. I'm a fan of checks and balances, kind of like I – and here's an example of my own hypocrisy perhaps. I would broadly repeat the banal and common uh, suggestion for diversification. So yeah. one of the free lunches and one of the great ideas for finance. And I'll say to all of our listeners – Diversify, And then I'll say to Andrew after the call, we should be really concentrated yeah. on our really good yeah. ideas. Well, how dare I? Do I think that he and I are going to come up with better ideas than the average person? What a snobby thought. Well, maybe it's true. And maybe it's true for some people. And where it is true, uh, you should use that to the nth degree. And if there's not checks and balances within Berkshire, I would say that as long as you're Warren Buffett, it's good to not have him checked or balanced. Look, I, I obviously agree with you with Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon, though I will say there are several people who signed that letter who I do not think should be the exceptions to the rule. Uh, and then, you know, a big piece of the article centered on asset managers uh, giving extra thought to proxy voting. And one of the big <laughs> kind of funny things is T. Rowe Price was one of the people who signed. And they're actually the firm that they wanted to vote no for the Dell merger and seek appraisal rights. And because they viewed po- proxy voting as so routine, they actually accidentally voted yes and went with the proxy advisors and cost their clients almost $200 million. So it's another place where they viewed what they were, what they're arguing people should put more attention to. They viewed it as so unimportant that they went against their own best wishes. Go ahead. I think that the idea of proxy advisors is just appalling. And the idea that if you have a decision to make that you outsource thinking, kind of, I believe it's just a kind of a CYA move, but then they're in charge and they should be sitting in your seat. They, they should get the compensation that the decisions on what you do with positions that, that you own for yourself or others, I mean, I think is absolutely critical. Maybe it's routine, but some routines have a mundane, and you know, in, in, in this case, it was really important. I disagree just because I think the proxy advisors can be great for index funds and things that are specifically designed not to do thinking. But, it, you okay. know, th- there is some issues there. But I think that's a conversation for a different day. Let's move on to our second topic. Sure. And that is, uh, does CEO pay reflect long-term performance? And I thought this was great in the wake of, we've talked about Yahoo all the time. They announced their sales to Verizon today. And Marissa Meyer is going to get $57 million in severance, bringing her total four-year comp from Yahoo up to about $220 million. And I mean, it's tough to argue she wasn't one of the worst CEOs in modern-day history. On on just about every metric, she was horrible operationally. She was awful with capital allocation. She clearly wasn't thinking through a lot of the deals and contracts she signed. We, we've gone into examples, so we won't dive into them there. But she, she was awful. Go ahead. If you look at how she allocates capital, she allocates capital like somebody who received over $200 million in four years. You know, <laughs> one, of, one, of the, one of the nice things about money is it allows you to do trade-offs. It's a, it's a store of value, and it allows you to do exchanges. But even when you're not storing or exchanging it, you can take the capital that you have access to and however much you have anything you spend it on you can't spend it on other things and so kind of when I talk to my kids about uh, priorities and where you're going to save where you're going to give and where you're going to invest 
um, or consume, I should say too, uh, that, that the finite aspect of it. But at over $200 million, you can just keep saying yeah. yes to anything. If you <laughs> think it looks cool, yeah. you just keep saying yes, and that's how she allocated capital. But so uh, MSCI put out a study today, and it showed that the highest, uh, the highest paid CEOs tend to underperform – their stocks tend to underperform yep. the sector and the lowest paid CEOs mm-hmm. – uh, and I, I'm just wondering, let's have an open discussion. You know, What do you think about these results? Are they surprising? Does it make sense to you? you no, know, it makes all the sense in the world. I, I would say that a lot of the most entrenched people have used that entrenchment to both get their comp really high, uh, but also to just divert their focus. Uh, I mean, they're not hungry. They're not, uh, uh, Mario Gabelli always says he likes to hire PhDs of poor, hungry, and driven, and these guys are the least poor, and they're probably not hungry or driven either. You know, it, it, it is shocking to me because – as an investor, one thing I always look for is ensuring CEOs pay or properly aligned with shareholder interest. Mm-hmm. And one thing this article pointed out time and again was most of this pay is in stock. Most of this pay is in equity. So they should be theoretically incentivized to get this share price up. But maybe at some point you've just been paid so much, the incentives just stop mattering anymore, right? And, and like, even the downside yeah. is kind of a high downside. Well, that's the other thing I was wondering. Are they capturing something else? You know, Are they capturing kind of a heads I win, tails you lose thing where highly paid CEOs have actually come to dominate their board? So it goes back to the corporate governance issue. And then the other thing I wondered is – are they missing something? So if you look at some of the best performing companies and best run companies, Berkshire, Warren Buffett's paid $100,000. Uh, both Google and Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, Sergey Brand are paid a dollar per year. And I was wondering if they are mistaking uh, the low paid people who are running the highest paid company, if they're mistaking they've already got so much equity that they just don't care and they don't get paid high salaries, right? So I was wondering if they were capturing some of that. Uh, I'll let you... Yeah, I I think that you just have kind of this weirdness when it kind of breaks down any relationship with other people in the companies. Now, the top... One thing that's difficult about a lot of the debate about inequality within corporate structures is a lot of the value, the decisions that really drives value is made within the top couple people, yeah. right? So so if you're within the, certainly within the top five, but even the top two or three people, um, it really does that's where the decisions are made that makes a huge difference in the ultimate value. So from a shareholder perspective, you want them to be uh, taken care of. But the amount that some of these people are taken care of in the relations with the comp committees is just weird. And it's weird in a way that only you can get in these situations when people are thinking relatively and not in absolute terms, does this make sense? Because it doesn't make sense. Well, that comes to the heads I, tails, heads I win, tails you lose thing, right? Like if the CEO is dominating the board, or I was wondering, is it picking up on something where if you have a couple good years, you get raises to reflect the couple good years and then in a bad year you just dominate the board so you don't you don't get a pay cut in that bad year or kind of the they do the cpi thing or what everybody wanted with social security when inflation was negative it's like oh well you know let's just ignore the inflation adjustment this year because we don't we don't want to upset anyone uh you know the last thing i was wondering or are there methodology issues here so if you read the footnotes they excluded 15 or 20 companies whose share price is – they say their share price performance is so good it makes them outliers. And these are companies like Netflix, Priceline, Apple, Salesforce, a bunch of really uh, explosive growth healthcare stocks. And all of these companies had very well-paid CEOs. So I was wondering if they kind of took out – if they took all the riskiest companies that pay their CEOs the best because – they need their CEOs to drive great share price performance, and then they took out all the winners. So I was wondering if there were methodology issues there. That sounds suspect, doesn't it? It, it, it does, and they, they kind of tried to do some explaining with it, but all of them were in the top fifty percent of share of uh, 
performance and these were huge home runs. They paid their, C- their CUs a lot. So I was wondering if their methodology performance, but overall very interesting and made me question a lot of my assumptions on CEO pay and incentives. Go ahead. Uh, at the end of the day, all I care about is what I get net. And so and there's a lot of different payoff structures that the other person can get that if I'm getting a good deal, it's almost, almost none of my business what the other guy gets. Yeah. Like I'm not, yeah. There, there, there's, there's, uh, of all of my many sins, uh, I'm, envy just has never really been one of mm-hmm. them. And if somebody else does incredibly well, and there are exceptions. There are people, uh, John Malone, I put up behind this list, who have done extraordinarily well by me, who I have huge admiration for who a lot of the things about the deal they get is not one that I would generalize for society. John Malone, one of the famous things about him is, you know, every deal he does, it's good for the companies, but it's always great for him, right? So kind of everyone benefits, but he benefits a little more. I can't think of any CEO who I've gotten screwed out of more or who I have net done better as a result of. And so, you know, I couldn't generalize that. Maybe this would be the kind of thing that you could say is hypocrisy or it's certainly not consistent. I wouldn't want a lot of other CEOs to do the same thing, but if you're that good, you can get away with yeah. it. All right, so let's wrap it up there. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangeycapital.com. Disclosures, none for me. Chris, I think you're long Berkshire, Berkshire. and Yahoo? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, those are our disclosures, and we will talk to you guys next week.